0: Joshua chapter 3. Let me just set the stage for us. Joshua, uh, if you're guests here with us, we just take a book of the Bible, we go through it. We've been in Joshua 1 twice, Joshua 2. Now, Joshua 3 and 4 go together. Joshua chapter 3, the people of Israel, led by the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they will cross the Jordan River, go into the Promised Land. Joshua chapter 4, they will then take um, stones, memorial stones, to help Israel remember all that the Lord did. So Joshua 3, he does it. Joshua 4, they remember. And today we take a look at Joshua chapter 3. Now it's 17 verses. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 and then go back and pull the rest of the chapter into the sermon. Grass withers and the flowers fade, with the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. They came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And then Joshua, excuse me, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I also will be with you. Do you join me as we pray? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by your Holy Spirit and according to your word. That you will calm the fears of those that struggle. That you would heal the wounds of those that are hurt. That you would strengthen the hands of those that feel weak. That you would bring joy back to those that have wonder where it went. God, I pray that you would speak and, and I pray that you would soften hearts that are hard as granite. That your word... Powered by your spirit might be effective here today. In Jesus' name, we ask, Amen. You may be seated. Samuel Stinnett. Samuel Stinnett grew up in a preacher's home. His daddy was a part of the dissenting movement in the late 17th century in England. The dissenting movement came out of the Church of England and then became Baptist, and for a time it was illegal. But near the end of the 17th century, you have the Act of Toleration, 1689. His daddy preached right after that, so it was legal to be a Baptist, it just wasn't popular. He watched his daddy be faithful, even when it cost him socially, and watching his father be so faithful. And a really difficult time made Samuel want to be a preacher, so he became a pastor. Samuel Stennett preached in 18th century England, but what he is really known for is his hymn writing. And probably his best known hymn is one called Bound for the Promised Land. He came to Joshua chapter 3 and 4 and he read that chapter and he was inspired to write these words. On Jordan's stormy bank I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Here they are. Finally. God's people have been wandering, they've been in the desert, generations have died off. Finally, in Joshua chapter 3, they are going to walk into the realization of all that God had promised. And as much as this, as much as this passage is about Joshua as a leader and about Israel as a people, this passage is about our good God Our God and his amazing love and care for his people, people just like us, with with needs like ours, in a world like this one. And and what I want to do today is is convince you that this God, the God of the Bible, he is, is full of grace. Toward his people in Christ, I want you to be convinced so that when you walk out of here today, if you're a Christian, you can walk out living confidently in this present evil age, knowing that that you can trust our good God. I want you to trust him. But to do so, we've got to learn some things. There are some things I think we need to learn that will help us. So let's start in the beginning. It's always a good place to start. Here's the first thing I think we need to learn. Number one, there is so much more we need to learn about God. You're never going to plumb the full depths of who God is. And more than likely, there is so much more that we need to learn About God. I mean, you read this story. This this story is besotted with language about God. For for instance, when you read it, you're going to find out that He is a personal God. We're going to talk about transcendence in a moment when we talk about sovereignty. But right now, look at look at this personal God. Do you see it in verses one, two, and three? There in verses one, two, and three, Joshua and the people they've come up to the banks of the Jordan River. And they stand there three days in verse 2. Now pick up with me in verse 2 and 3 and listen to the language. Verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, and this is what they said. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant, slow down, of the Lord your God. See the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That Anytime you see that, that is the name Yahweh. It is the personal name of God. Not only that, you have the personal name of God, and then the author says, this personal God is your God. This God is to be known. He, he is to be enjoyed. He is to be embraced. For every one of us sitting here that are believers, for all of us that are in the New Covenant That means that we know God through his son, Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus told the disciples? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That in Christ, here's a promise, in Christ, that God sees you. That God cares for you. That God knows you personally, including all of your personal baggage and all of God's children got some personal baggage all of your hang-ups and anxieties and fears and so the question before we can move on would be do you actually know him personally he's a personal God but he's not just imminent that is close he is also transcendent that is to say he is a sovereign God This text tells us He is close knowing, but He is also a sovereign God. Let me me show what I mean. The people here, the people were to follow the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant would be the representation of the presence of God, but they didn't have any idea what's going to happen if they follow the Ark of the Covenant down to the river. They didn't know how they would cross it. Now, look with me at how God is described in verse 11 and also in verse 13. Let me read it to you, verse 11 and verse 13. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Drop down to verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. I would circle it two times. The Lord of all the earth. That phrase means that He is sovereign over all of His creation, that all things belong to Him, that He has absolute control over all things and events. I mean, isn't isn't that exactly what Paul said to the church at Colossae when he talked about Jesus? Paul says that He is before all things and in Him. All things hold together. You know what that means? When you, if you're a believer in Jesus, when you are bought by the blood of Jesus, you then are in Christ. And if Christ is Lord over all, if He's Lord over all matter and all existence and all people, that means that He hasn't forgotten you. That means that your life is not a random series of unconnected events. It means that that God has a plan and He is working out His plan according to the counsel of His own will, nobody else. He he didn't save you just to leave you feeling aimless in this world. He's a personal God and, and also a sovereign God. But there's something else you can learn about God in this passage. He is a moral God, a moral God. So often you'll hear people talk about um, why they might not, might not want to be a Christian. And you might hear someone say, it's, it's, people are too legalistic. And that may be true. They're, I don't deny there are lots of legalistic people in the world. But let's just sort of be clear what it means to be a Christian. You don't do right, so you then become a Christian Christian. You are saved not by what you do. According to the Bible, you are saved by what Christ has done. There is a finished work of Jesus. His perfect life, because ours is imperfect. His death on the cross to to, uh, pay for our sin. His resurrection that gives us new life. And you're saved by God's loving grace through faith. That's how you're saved. But there is, there is this strong morality to being a Christian. I mean, so many times when you read the passage, chapter 3, chapter 4, when you read this passage, it mentions the Ark of the Covenant. And that is so important for the people of Israel. Um, It it symbolized the presence of God. The, The Ark is important for several reasons. Many of those reasons have to do with what is actually inside the Ark of the Covenant. Three things in the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant, you have Aaron's rod, Remember in Numbers 17, Aaron's rod that budded and then had almond blossoms. You also have um, manna there in the Ark of the Covenant, which would symbolize God's provision. But the central piece in the Ark of the Covenant would be the two tablets. That's the Ten Commandments, the moral law. And that moral law would lead the people into this promised land, And would be a signal that this people is a different kind of people. They are set aside from all other people in the world. And and ultimately that law, the law of God. Why do we still memorize the Ten Commandments? Because the law of God shows us how far short we fall from God's holiness. The, The law of God shows us our absolute need for the gospel. The gospel, you hear that phrase, the gospel is good news. The gospel of Jesus is, is good news really only if you understand the bad news. The gospel of Jesus is good news for people that understand the bad news. What's the bad news? Well, the bad news is that we are sinners by nature and by choice, and because of that, we are destined for hell if we are not in Christ. So the bad news is... In our own state, we are destined for hell. The good news is that in Jesus, we are predestined for adoption as sons and daughters of God. The the moral law shows us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior, the Bible teaches, is Jesus who lived perfectly, who died on the cross in the place of sinners, God raised Him from the dead, and any sinner that believes, here's the gospel, any sinner that believes that can be saved. Now, when I'm talking about things we could learn about God, I could keep going on. I mean, if you look, just look at verse 10. There in verse 10, you see that the God is called the living God because he would be with his people going into a land where all the Canaanite gods are dead. If if you were to go up to verses 4 and 5, you would see that that this God is a holy God. Verse 4, don't get too close. Verse 5, consecrate yourself. We could look into the ark and see that he is a providing God. You would see the manna there that reminded how God provided all those years in the desert. You you could get to verse 7, really one of my favorite. If you go with me to verse 7, it's a private conversation that God has with Joshua. And it's nothing more than to assure Joshua. This is not something he displayed in front of everyone else. He spoke to Joshua. Look what he said in in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. With. One of the most important words you can think about when your relationship to God is with. You you should relish the, let's make the word up, the withness of God. There's a great assurance in knowing that he is actually with you. That, that he's with you in a, in a real and tangible and immediate way. And maybe, maybe, I'm like I say this a lot, maybe my favorite here is, uh, is verse 5. Verse 5 is um, it's when Joshua tells the people that tomorrow God is going to do wonders. You see that word wonders? It's the word miracle. God is going to do wonders among you. The miracle will be he's going to take upwards of a million people across a river that's in flood stage, verse 15 tells us. A river that should have killed every one of them that reminds us, just this very passage reminds us that our God is mighty to save when we can't save ourselves. I guess what I'm getting at is is you can trust Him. You can trust our good God. There's so much more we need to learn about God. There's something else to notice in the passage when you read this about this story. Number two, there's so much more we need to learn about obedience. We talked about God, let's talk about us. There's so much more we need to learn about obedience. You see it in the passage when you read it. You can just come down the page as you read in verse 3 and 4. You see the instructions in verse 3 and 4. They were to watch the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God. Watch the Ark of the Covenant. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. The priests would carry it in verse 4. They are to maintain a distance so they can see it. There's a million, million of them. They're a thousand yards behind it. So everybody can see and follow. Follow that Ark of the Covenant to the very edge of the river. Now look, we know they're going to cross it. They don't know. We know the rest of the story. They don't know the story. How would this make any sense to the people? they got children, they have their parents, some of them aging, very, and they don't move very well. They're worried about getting across this river. And what they are told is, you keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very presence of God. You keep looking at the Ark. Get your eyes off the river. You don't think about how you're going to do it. You keep focused on God. And wherever the Ark goes, that's where you go. Even if it doesn't make sense and that's exactly what they did and that's exactly what we've got to do to obey God even when it's not logical even when it's not sensical to obey God even when it's not safe now of all the lessons that you and I need to learn about obedience to God we need to learn what it means to be obedient to God even when it costs us. When it costs us financially, when when it costs us socially. It's going to cost us educationally. When it costs you personally. A real willingness to, to trust God and His Word, even when it really doesn't make any sense. This past Friday night I preached to the graduates of Hickory Grove Christian School and I've been thinking about that this weekend. Those graduates, what they're going off into, I mean we just stood them up here a little bit ago and, and congratulated and honored all that they've done. But you think about the world that those young men and women are going into. It's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian teacher in the public schools. It's going to be harder and harder for Christian families to be able to to send their kids there because of what's coming out of the government, down to the schools. We have these terrible decisions we have to make. We have entered into a time in history unlike any other time in American history. There's not been another group of Christians that have had to face some of what we're having to face in American history. Now, world history that has, American history. We've had about 250 years of living in this bubble that says there is some social advantage to being a God-fearing person in America. That advantage has evaporated. It's already happening in, in Canada. And it'll start happening, some of you felt this in, in, the, in the businesses where you work. It'll start happening that if you actually live out your Christian conviction. I don't mean radical, wild-eyed convictions. I mean just standard, basic Christian convictions. If you live them out. I mean, we're sending, we're sending graduates into a world that despises, I mean, just pick one view. despises what Christians believe about manhood and womanhood. What, what we believe, the Bible says, about gender. Now, there's coming a day when it will not be enough that you actually are not talking about what you believe. It won't be enough that you keep that to yourself. That There's coming a day when you will be called on to affirm and celebrate. Let's just take one. You'll be called on to affirm and celebrate the LGBTQ worldview. And when you don't, because of your Christian convictions... It's it's just going to be costly. Now, we don't need to bemoan and complain. We just need to go ahead and decide, make the decision that by God's grace, you do it humbly, by God's grace, that's where you're going to stand, that that you're willing to pay the cost. It's good for us to learn more and more about what it means to actually be obedient to the Lord in the 21st century, to, to trust Him. Now, that's going to require trust from us. And that's what I'm trying to convince you today that you, you can trust our good God. There's so much more we need to learn about God. There's so much more we, we need to learn about obedience. I'll give you a third thing to consider. Number three, there's so much more we need to learn about waiting, about patience, about waiting. Go back with me. Go back there to the very beginning of this passage. I tried to emphasize it when I read it. You'll see it in verses 1 and 2. Now remember, these people have been waiting. This story has been going on from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Finally, they're going to go into the land. And they get right up to the edge of the promised land. Verses 1 and 2. Read it with me. Verse 1 and 2. Then Joshua rose early in the morning they set out from Shittim and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, they lodged there before they passed over at the end of three days. Mama's with children standing there looking at that river, it's in flood stage. Three days they got to worry. Three days you stand there wondering, how are we going to get over this? how are we going to make it across this river? Waiting. One of the hardest things to do, wait. Well, why is it God does that? Why does he make us wait? Why do we have to wonder what the future looks like? Waiting. What are the things we learn waiting? We learn the frailty, don't we? We learn the frailty of the human condition that we are not in control, that that so much of the world is bigger than who we are and what we are, and there's so much beyond our control. We learned our smallness and God's bigness in the world. Waiting. When we wait, we learn humility. That that our plans and our schedules and what we want to have done, our, our our expectations in life, they always take a back seat to what God plans. What's His schedule? waiting. Alexander McLaren was another uh, Baptist preacher in England in the late 19th century. He was a contemporary of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. They were in the same city. Charles Spurgeon was more well known because he was better oratorically, but Alexander McLaren was probably a a better Bible expositor. He came to this passage and, and, and McLaren says that God oftentimes opens his hand one finger at a time. That, that, that it's enough to see. God gives us enough to see the next step and, and then trust Him. Why do we wait? What do we learn there? We, we, learn, we learn dependence. Think about the people standing at the river. There's no way they're going to get those children, those older folks across that flood stage river, no way they could get across the river unless God does it. You see, delays, delays and waiting remind us of our absolute dependence on on God. And it's it's when you're in the the holding pattern. It's when you're in the waiting. That's where we learn to trust Him. Are you you learning that? Are you learning to walk by faith and, and not by sight? so much we need to learn about God and so much we need to learn about obedience. There's so much we need to learn about patience that you can trust this good God. Look, there's, I'll give you a fourth thing to consider. There's so much we need to learn about God's power, His wonderful power. Don't you love verse 5? Verse 5, Joshua told the people, God, you need to consecrate yourself because God is going to do wonders among you. So he tells them there's going to be a miracle. Let's go and read the crossing of the Jordan River and just just listen to the miracle from the Bible. Let me start in verse 12. Joshua says, Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, "...the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap." So, verse 14, "...when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water..." Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. Look what happens. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those then flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people went right between there. The people passed over right in front of Jericho. Verse 17. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, look, look at the description. They stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all of the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Do you just hear the language? Verse 15, the stage is set, the river is overflowed. Verse 15, flood stage. Verse sixteen, the ankles of the priest carrying the presence of God, once they touch the waters, there are heaps of water. Like one giant aquarium. And then read verse 17 Two times. It's not mud they walked through. It's not just that it was got shallow. The Bible says two times dry ground, as if to say, I'm not doing this halfway. Here is a bona fide, certified, God-centered miracle of grace. You know what this reminds us? This reminds us of God's, his power and his love and his affection and his care for his people. Look, I'd be be remiss if I didn't mention one more thing. I'm a Christian expositor, so we read the Bible Christianly understanding that all of it points to jesus and i'll just close by saying there is so much more we need to learn about jesus remember when jesus walked in luke 22 with after he was raised from the dead he's walking with some disciples they didn't know it was him and he takes the bible and he just walks through showing how all of the scriptures point to him when you read about joshua Remember, Joshua, Yahweh saves, is the same name, Jesus, Yahweh saves. When you read about Joshua at the Jordan River, and and then you read what God says to him in verse 7, today I'm going to exalt you. What you have there is a very clear foreshadowing of the true and better Joshua, Jesus, who started his ministry at the Jordan River, baptized in the Jordan, came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended, God the Father spoke, and from the Jordan River, he would give his ministry to the Garden of Gethsemane. He would take on the sin of all the sinners that will ever be saved. He would go to the cross and then pay the price there at the cross of Calvary. And every one of those steps of Jesus Tell us you can trust our good God. That's what I'm asking you to do. Trust Him. I want you to bow your heads with me and just listen. Just listen. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Do you trust Him? Maybe where you are, you just need to say, "God, help. I, just, I want to trust you." Do you trust him with your future? All of us have most of us have one big problem. Do you trust him with that problem? Don't know if you've got decisions you need to make, graduates have decisions. What's the future? Do you trust him? with that, those decisions. Some of you have children that have just completely gone off the rails. You don't know what to do. Do you trust God with that child? Some of you sitting here, you need to trust that God will save you. You can be saved now. You can ask God. To, you, can, you sitting right there, ask God to save you based on what Jesus has done on the cross you believe that Jesus lived perfectly, died on the cross in your place, ask God to save you based on that. He'll save you. I want you to trust Him. Father, I pray you help us to trust. I pray for believers, your children, help them to trust you. I pray for those that are outside of the new covenant. God, that their hearts would be enlightened to trust you. We thank you for this promise from the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we respond God's word with singing?